You're listening to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning. This is Peter Lewis back on Money Talk on Radio 3. It's been lovely to have an extended break, but I've missed you and it's great to be here again. A big thank you to James Ross, Andrew Work and Richard Harris for sitting in over the past eight weeks. It's been as long as that. Let's get down to business. Here are the headlines for Monday the 30th of January 2023. China's top tourist destinations saw plenty of activity over the Lunar New Year holidays. The dropping of zero COVID restrictions spurred a travel rebound. Bookings for hotels, flights and attractions at home and abroad surged to their highest in three years. China saw a total of 308 million domestic tourism trips during the week-long holidays, an increase of over 23% from the same period last year. State media reported Saturday that a state council meeting, chaired by Premier Li Keqiang, said policies on boosting consumption should be fully implemented. State council said the nation needs to accelerate a recovery in consumption and make it the main driving force of the economy. Japan and the Netherlands are poised to join the US in limiting China's access to advanced semiconductor machinery. The Financial Times reported that US, Dutch and Japanese officials concluded high-level talks at the White House on Friday on a new set of limits of what can be supplied to Chinese companies. The joint effort expands on US restrictions unveiled in October that barred US companies from selling advanced chip-making equipment to Chinese groups. Hong Kong Financial Secretary Paul Chen said on Saturday that the administration may have to adjust its fiscal policies after officials had put in place counter-cyclical measures at a time when the COVID situation was severe in Hong Kong. Mr Chan said the policy direction will change as Hong Kong enters a post-pandemic era and the government has to invest in the future and boost development. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management, and Sam Favre, CEO at Mandarin Capital, with a view from mainland China is Brock Silvers, CIO at Kyan Capital. And just a reminder of how you can get in contact with us, text 6393-5925, email moneytalk at rthk.hk. We're on Facebook, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3, and on Twitter at Money Talk Radio 3. <laughs> On Wall Street, stocks were bought last week as investors took into account further signs of easing inflation and data which showed an economy that was slowing but performed better than expected. The S&P 500 index gained a quarter of a percent to close at 4,071. It added 2.5% last week. The Dow rose 29 points, or 0.1%, to finish at 33,978 for a weekly gain of 1.8%. The Nasdaq Composite Index climbed 1% to 11,622. It was up for the fourth week in a row, surging 4.3% over the five sessions in its best week since early November. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index rose a third of a percent Friday and for the week was up 0.7%. London's FTSE 100 was down marginally over the five sessions. Here in Hong Kong, stocks ended a holiday-shortened week with a further advance of almost 3%, and that's the sixth straight week of gains. On Friday, 
the Hang Seng Index added 122 points, or half a percent, to close at an 11-month high of 22,689. And that takes its year-to-date gains to almost 15, 15%. That's the best start to a new year since 1984. The tech index jumped 1% Friday and is up almost 17% in the month of January. Mainland markets reopened today after a week-long holiday. In the commodities markets, energy prices weakened ahead of the OPEC meeting this week. Brent crude oil settled 0.9% lower at $86.66 a barrel for a weekly loss of just over 1%. Natural gas fell for the sixth straight week with the benchmark Henry Hub contract trading at its lowest since April 2021. Gold copper was unchanged on the week and gold is also flat over the five days at $1,927 an ounce. Before last week, it had seen five weeks of gains. In the bond markets, Treasuries were sold Friday ahead of the Fed meeting on Tuesday and Wednesday this week. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield rose three basis points to 3.52%. In the currency markets, the US dollar index was little changed over the week, trading either side of 102. But the dollar has fallen 1.5% in January against a basket of major currencies, leaving it on track to record its fourth straight monthly decline. It's now trading at levels last seen in May 2022. The Japanese yen was bid Friday after data showed inflation in the Tokyo area surged to an almost 42-year high of 4.3%. And this morning, the yen is at 129.85 per US dollar. The euro is trading at $1.08.5. Sterling is at $1.24. Offshore Chinese yuan got a lift after Hong Kong markets reopened from the Lunar New Year holidays. On Thursday, it advanced as much as 0.7%. That's its biggest gain since January the 9th. And it's trading this morning at 6.75 and a quarter versus the US dollar. Thin liquidity during the mainland market's closure amplified the move. And Bitcoin is heading towards the best month since 2020. Some investors see crypto prices as a leading indicator of investors' risk appetite. So far this month and this year, Bitcoin has risen almost 40%. And it's trading this morning at 23,100. It's an important week for markets with interest rate decisions coming from the Fed, the European Central Bank and the Bank of England and fourth quarter earnings releases from Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook and Sony, amongst others. Ahead of that, Asian stocks are starting the new week uh, fairly flat right now down in Australia. The SX200 is off just 0.1%. Uh, In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is up 0.1%. The Cosby is flat right now and looks like it's going to be a flat open for the Hang Seng later on this morning. Ten. Let's welcome our guests over in our Queensway studio. We have Alex Wong, director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Morning, Alex. Hey, morning, Peter. And also with us is Sam Favreau, chief executive officer at Mandarin Capital. Morning to you, Sam. Morning, Peter. Welcome back and happy new year. Thank you very much. Happy new year to both of you as well. Um, China's top tourist destination saw plenty of activity over the Lunar New Year holidays. Booking for hotels, flights and attractions at home and abroad surged to their highest in three years. There were 308 million domestic tourism trips during the week-long holiday. That's an increase of 23% from the same period last year. 
Data from online travel agency Trip.com showed overall travel jumped fourfold over the corresponding festive season last year and Hong Kong and Macau were among the most popular spots and box office data also showed a strong revival in demand and suggests the country has emerged from the worst of a zero COVID exit wave. Consumption is being watched as a barometer of growth in the mainland economy. State media reported Saturday that a state council meeting chaired by Premier Li Keqiang said policies on boosting consumption should be fully implemented. And the state council said the nation needs to accelerate a recovery in consumption and make it the main driving force of the economy. So Alex and uh, Sam, consumption seems to be um, the main focus now. Do you think, are you encouraged, first of all, by what you've seen in terms of the pickup in activity over the Lunar New Year holidays? Is it a sign that the Chinese consumer is back? Yes, of course, uh, this is quite encouraging. But of course, uh, this is also uh, a bit uh, distorted by the fact that uh, many outbound travels actually uh, has been uh, slowed down by restrictions of other countries. So that's why the tourists actually focus now on um, the, main, the tourist attractions within the countries. So uh, I think uh, the, the overall directions would still be consumption for China because uh, right now um, I think uh, there would be quite a lot of limits on manufacturing expansion in China. So um, uh, I think uh, they would put the focus on consumptions. And, and of course, I think uh, right now the short-term impact is quite huge because uh, the lockdown has been for so long. So uh, we are seeing a, very, a lot of excitement uh, in, the, in, the, in the countries. But uh, later on, I think uh, we will see it uh, back to normal a little bit. But uh, overall, I think uh, the policies would, uh, would be tilted towards the consumption. Well, I think uh, the uh, pickup in travelling obviously is proportional to the frustration there was for the last three years. I think from the global policy, they don't really have the choice to try to boost consumption. And that's, has, that, that's, has tr- the government has tried to be the key driver for the last five to ten years to try to move away from investment. And, um, and obviously foreign... Uh, foreign investment into the country and they have to pursue that because there are headwinds outside so obviously exports mm. are very very slow uh, and they're most likely going to slow down because of the overall situation and some kind of decoupling and also investment local investment is most likely going to stay fairly weak after you know three years of covid and overstretching of local government's balance sheet so they have limited way to play around this i guess where they can play is stimulate consumption uh, play on the monetary side, but again, I think we have to we have to wait for three to six months, which is what we've seen from the other countries. When the opening post-COVID uh, restrictions happen, then you start to see really the, you know, the medium-term uh, average of how things are going to happen. So they have to. Uh, I'm not sure uh, how much damage has been done in terms of consumption senti- uh, consumer sentiment, but uh, I guess they don't really have the choice than try to boost consumption to drive the economy forward. I'm wondering if the the COVID pandemic has actually permanently changed uh, consumer spending habits as we enter this now, what is what, a post-pandemic era? Because, for example, a lot of people on the mainland have learned that they need to save more for healthcare, spend more on healthcare. Their insurance coverage hasn't covered in many cases um, COVID. So do you think that's going to change the um, people's uh, spending habits? Because they are going to have to look at things like this that they never really thought too much about before. And that could be a drag on their spending in other discretionary areas. I think definitely. I mean, it's the kind of shock you see once in a century and people don't forecast that. And at the same time, there's a bias toward those kind of things. So healthcare is definitely one. 
And obviously, people are going to be cautious because they've seen also that there is a limit to uh, the safety net that can be provided by the states. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, you have to provide for yourself. So definitely, there will mm. be changes. Alex, is, is this uh, China's reopening after the New Year break? Um, how big an event is it? Is this, are we looking at one of the big economic events of 2023 already? Yes, of course. I've, you can see the um, strength of the market after the reopening news. So, uh, so this is a very huge uh, change uh, and, and it is really a very big uh, economic event because it would give uh, a boost to China economy and, and, and on the other parts of the world actually we are expecting a, a, at least a small recession. So the China reopening actually would counter that. So this is really huge uh, for the market. Mm. And it's it's a big global event as well, isn't it? Because if we do see this big rise in consumption, it's going to add to uh, to global demand. Yeah, of course, yes, and especially in the in the background of recessions in other parts of the world. I mean, from from an investor's perspective, it seems almost right now investors are taking the view that you can't lose. Either we are going to see uh, this what's been called revenge spending, a big pickup in consumption. Or if not, we're going to see more um, stimulative policies from, from the authorities. So sort of, I mean, investors seem to be seeing it either way. Whatever happens, it's good for them. At least in the short term, yes, uh, because uh, we have seen a very huge decline in Chinese equities of, uh, in the last two years. So uh, in terms of valuations and, and, and the levels of the equities, actually, they are they are not really high, at, even at this level. Mm. So uh, we are seeing some a lot of uh, interest to trace. And, and also uh, what happened in India is helping because uh, India has been gaining uh, weights uh, in the MSCI X uh, Japan in, and, and right now uh, uh, on, on, at, at the expense of China. So when China is going up, uh, is it gaining? So I think uh, uh, there would be many more funds are coming back from India to China. Mm. I want to get onto the markets in a moment. Before I do that, Sam, let me ask you about Hong Kong. How is Hong Kong doing? Is it benefiting from this pickup in travel? Are we seeing it here as well now that cross-border travel is being resumed? Well, obviously, yes, there's been, a, there's been benefits. I mean, it's pretty clear that around we're hearing a lot more for, of tourists. Um, so there's definitely been pickup. It seems that it hasn't been completely meeting expectations and there's still a few restrictions, I mean, especially from overseas. Now, in terms of market pickup, I think, as you mentioned, there's a lot of things which have been priced in already. So uh, whether it's in Hong Kong, whether it's uh, already in China bounds. So uh, the question is really, as I said, three to six, six months forward, what are we looking at? Whether we're going to see something sustainable, whereas now we start really to start looking at pricing the best of the world, whereas six months ago it was the end of the world. So I mm. guess the truth is somewhere in the middle. Well, what do you think, Alex, for, for Hong Kong? Obviously, it's good to see tourists starting to come back uh, from the mainland. But we've got a long way to go, haven't we? What, what we've seen so far is only about 10% of pre-pandemic levels in, in 2019. Yeah, I think uh, for Hong Kong, it's a little bit disappointing uh, because, uh, as I said, uh, there are other parts of the world that has placed some restrictions on China tourists. So we should have uh, uh, better numbers. I think, uh, hopefully, uh, after lifting the quarantine requirement and, and other things, I think uh, hopefully we would see a better numbers uh, coming forward. But I think uh, uh, we need to see those real situations in, in a few months' time. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get on to the markets because um, really, beginning of 2023, 
has seen a big reversal from what we saw, uh, the sell-off of 2022. The Dow so far up 2.5%. The S&P 500 has gained 6%. The Nasdaq has surged 11%. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng is up almost 15%. Uh, so, Alex, Hong Kong stocks are at an 11-month um, high now. Where do we go from here? Uh, I think uh, sentiment is still very strong and uh, pullback probably will still be limited. But today, of course, I would be a little bit uh, testing, uh, a test for the market because uh, the mainland investors are coming back. And, and, with, and during the holidays, actually, we have been up uh, quite a lot. So probably we might see, see some profit taking. So we need to see whether the appetite is still strong at this level. But uh, in the longer term, I think uh, we probably still have some upside. Mm. Do you think we can get back to 30,000? That was the 2021 high was around there, wasn't it? I think I doubt that because uh, the property market actually has done the damage. So uh, it would be quite difficult for the property market to recover fully. And then uh, for the mega tax, actually, uh, they, there would be many restrictions and, and, and probably they would still have some rooms for recover, but I don't think they could uh, get back to their highs. Mm. Where are we on valuations now? If you still want to get in, um, are, are valuations reasonable or are they getting rather high? They are reasonable, but I think it's safer to go to those SOEs uh, like telecoms uh, because uh, they had they, they are not very uh, expensive at uh, uh, at this level. Uh, and probably I think uh, people would feel more comfortable to go to SOE instead of uh, private enterprises. Mm. Sam, what do you think? Hong Kong's equity markets... It's now recouped almost half a trillion dollars, US dollars, in market cap in the, in the rally this year through until the end of last week. What, what can go wrong? Everyone seems to be very bullish at the moment, don't they, on basis of increased demand from the opening up of China. They're looking at slowing inflation elsewhere in the world, maybe the Fed slowing the pace of rates uh, rises. It really is generating a lot of bullish sentiment. But w- what could go wrong with that scenario? Well, that's the thing. That's the fact that it's all one-sided is what can go really wrong because uh, typically we are seeing a lot of uh, momentum players in uh, in these markets. Now, some of these stocks have bounced back quite sharply. I mean, mm-hmm. some of these heavy techs, and I think these ones are overbought. So there clearly could be a pullback. Now, the problem I think we can we can look at forward is really to address those systemic and um, risk which haven't been addressed for the last three years because people you know uh, were dealing with the pandemic. So if we're looking at China, they have to address the private sector situation. They have to address the consumption. Here we have to address the uh, the real estate market which hasn't been addressed. So there's a lot of things which have been left aside for the last three years now people will have to face because the market is pricing the best and usually not not the worst happening and not the best is happening so i think you know next three months we have momentum playing but beyond that i think uh, it's it's really we have to see what's going to happen to the real world well on the point you make about the property market we should point out that it's not just uh, chinese stocks uh, that are being bought chinese bonds as well I've had an incredible start uh, to the year, and particularly uh, China property bonds. People have been aggressively buying uh, bonds on some of the Chinese property companies. Are, are you convinced now that by, by the um, announcements that have made, been made by Beijing to try and boost the property sector, that the worst is over for it? Would you be a buyer of property bonds? Actually, I would not be, because uh, this is a very highly illiquid market. So uh, when things go wrong, actually, you would be very difficult to get out. So you need to have a very high conviction that uh, the worst is over and, and those companies actually would be able to, to, to repay uh, their, 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 their principal and interest uh, because the restructuring actually would be, would be go, 
would be would, would take a really really long time. So I think uh, this is uh, just uh, the um, normalization after the sharp decline last year. So uh, I will not be a buy because the liquidity risk actually is already uh, reflected in the in the last uh, few months. So I think uh, that, that that would be in the market uh, permanently. So I think valuation actually would be lower. So I will not be a buy at this level. Well, what do you think? Uh Sam, if you look at Chinese uh, junk-rated dollar bonds on property developers, you could have got a 30% return over the past month, 65% return from six weeks ago. People are really assuming uh, that they're not going to wait for the rebound in home sales. They're getting in now. They think these property uh, stabilisation measures are going to work. Well, I think there's two things. Uh, I think... um if we're talking at bonds, I'll definitely buy bonds ahead, uh, above equities because you are really buying the government's uh, safety net. Uh, the equity, you're pricing the upside on the market. So this, to me, is a very long shot, which I'm really not sure is going to happen because of the supply situation in China and the long-term demand, which uh, with you know, decreasing uh, population over the long term and also a change of habits instead of savings. So really the... Uh, the um, the property market in China, for me, is looking pretty bleak on the long term. Now, talking about saying that, the bond market itself, I think the government has said we cannot afford to have the big developers to fail, so they will, uh, to some, some extent, guarantee that. But it's creating a lot, a lot of different issues, like typical moral hazard issues uh, and people starting to price in implied guarantee in the markets. That can be quite disruptive also in the, in the long term. But short term, I'll definitely buy bonds above equities. Okay, great. Well, thank you for your thoughts there. You heard Sam Favreau, who's Chief Executive Officer at Mandarin Capital. Alex Wong, who's Director at Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management Company. Times 8.24 and a half. On the phone now is Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Cayenne Capital. Morning to you, Brock. Peter, good morning. Well, look, it's uh, at the end of Chinese New Year. Markets on the mainland reopen uh, today. We've had Hong Kong markets open for a couple of days uh, now. It's been quite a stellar start, hasn't it, uh, from the New Year? And people assuming that we're going to be seeing uh, this... Uh, frenzy of consumption activity encouraged by the state council who want to make consumption uh, the the center of the economy but are we going to see it well look i i think hopes for a rebound driven by the china's consumer are fairly overblown right now um you know last week lvmh reported just blazing sales in macau that had recently reopened that's positive i think it indicates there is pent-up demand but how many times have we heard this story before the economy simply isn't driven by domestic consumption, and I have yet to hear a detailed plan that's going to change that. I, I think the expected tidal wave of consumer demand is unlikely to meet expectation, um, which means I think we'll see a momentum rally starting today and this week, but it's one that I'd probably bet against after the initial rush. I mean, we have seen a pickup, haven't we, in, in tourism trips, uh, we saw a pickup uh, in box office sales, according to the data, over the holidays. But put, put that in uh, perspective. Where is it compared to pre-pandemic uh, times, say back in 2019? You know, look, we definitely have seen some, uh, some sectors that have popped and, and more than a bit. But it extends to kind of tourism, hotels, travel, restaurants. Um, and all of that is to be expected. But let's not forget that COVID was never the, the primary underlying issue facing China. It was a temporary exacerbation 
of mm. underlying economic problems, albeit a serious exacerbation. Um, so I think anyone who sees this as a return to pre-pandemic glory days is going to be sorely and quickly disappointed. Mm. Well, the, the reopening, though, it is going to help global supply chains, isn't it? It's going to help unclog uh, Chinese shipping and trucking routes, and it's going to reduce some of those strains in, uh, in supply chains. That's presumably it's going to be a positive for not just China, but for, for global markets. Well, yes and no. It will be a positive. That's undeniable. But if China does actually recover, it's also likely to help reignite global inflation. You know, mm. as an example, we've seen commodities like copper, aluminum, zinc, tin. These are just roaring in 2023, the biggest pop in more than a decade. Um, and, and then sort of based at least significantly on that, you know, the NASDAQ Golden Dragons up almost 20 percent. Uh, MSCI China index is up 14% or so this year. Brent crude is now forecast to hit 95 this year. But all of this is anticipatory. Mm. So we're sort of stuck. We're damned if we do and damned if we don't. If China doesn't recover, we're in a bad way. And if it does recover, I think that will, uh, that will certainly speak to inflation as well. And presumably that makes the Fed's job that's going to meet this week more difficult because um, this is sort of, if you like, uh, uh, improving financial conditions overall at a time when the Fed is trying to tighten it. Yes, look, I, I do not envy that decision. Um, I think, uh, again, they're, they're in a very tough place. And I would suspect that, uh, you know, everyone thinks that 25 basis points is, is already kind of baked in the cake. Um, I think there will be some voices at the Fed that still would like to go 50. And, and people are getting very excited, thinking that the Fed's going to slow down and eventually stop, um, and in the second half of next year, even start cutting rates again. You know, I do wonder if that's rather um, optimistic and far-fetched, but that's what the markets seem to be pricing in. You know, more than excited, I think we've already priced it in, and, and that's a dangerous game. Um, you know, we, we've sort of priced in our, our positive case scenario here. Mm. And what about local markets here? We've got Chinese markets uh, reopening uh, this morning. We've had the Hong Kong markets back for um, a couple of days now. It's been a very, very good start uh, to the year. And in fact, if you bought Chinese stocks back in October, um, you've had some in incredible returns on them. But where, where do we go from here? Look, we, we have had a good, uh, a good brief period, but let's not forget that China's economy is still significantly troubled. You know, Real estate is insolvent. Many LGFVs are zombies. The banks are a mess. We have interest rate divergence and uh, probably softening global markets. So all of that is, is problematic. Now, what I see for markets in, uh, in the coming sort of six to 12 months, you know, Hong Kong's transformation sees it increasingly reliant on China. And as long as China's misfiring, Hong Kong is going to suffer. And I think that is uh, probably the case for 2023. Now, on the mainland, we have some particular twists. You know, I'm really uninterested in investment alongside of golden shares. That's sort of a hard zero for me. Um, I do think that there could be some value in corporate debt, much more so than equity at this point. But to be honest, I I've been an investor in dollar bonds, and I think now is the time to take profit on dollar bonds that have climbed back from the brink. So I have been a buyer, but I, I, I'd be much more skeptical going forward. 
Brock, always good to talk to you. Thank you very much. That's Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Kyan Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Final look at the markets for this morning. Uh, in, um, in, down in Australia, the SX200 is off 0.1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is rising this morning, up about 0.2%. Uh, the Cosby down a quarter of a percent, and futures markets pointing to a gain of, uh, oh, sorry, a, a flat open for the Hang Seng later on this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Do join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for more Money Talk. Stay tuned for Back Chats with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse after the news. The weather forecast for today, fine and dry, cold in the morning. Maximum temperature will be around 17 degrees during the day and it's going to become cloudy with one or two rain patches, rising temperatures in the next couple of days. It's 13 degrees right now. There is a cold weather warning, a frost warning and a red fire danger warning all in force. The Times 8.31. Here's Tom Warden with the half-hour news. Government COVID advisor Ivan Hung says he expects Hong Kong to gradually drop its remaining anti-epidemic measures, such as the mask mandate and compulsory rapid tests for school kids, in a matter of weeks. From today, people confirmed with COVID-19 no longer have to report their cases to the authorities or isolate themselves, as the SAR starts treating COVID like other respiratory illnesses. Professor Hung says the policy shift is highly unlikely to lead to a mass outbreak. Basically, we are now treating COVID as just one of the respiratory tract infections, just like influenza or, you know, other peri-influenza infections. And we are now transiting from the pandemic now to an endemic phase. The mask mandate will also be scrapped, possibly in a few weeks' time, and we're basically moving back to a normal state. Of course, we understand that with this relaxation, there are increased risks of infection among the elderly, those with chronic illnesses or the very young children. But most people will have been fully vaccinated. And within the community, there's very robust what we call hybrid immunity, meaning that those who have already been vaccinated and also had a past infection. So overall, the transmission among the community will be very low. More than 50 people have been killed in two separate transport accidents in Pakistan. At least 41 bus passengers died when their vehicle crashed in Baluchistan province. In the northwest of the country, at least 10 children died in a boat accident. They were among about 25 people on a tourist boat that capsized in the Tanda Dam Lake. Several children are in a critical condition in hospital. 13-year-old Mohammed Mustafa was one of the lucky ones who survived. We were going on a picnic. When our boat got out to the middle of the lake, it overturned. I got stuck under the boat. I pulled myself out and started swimming. I was swimming slowly, but the coat I was wearing got heavy and I started sinking. I got halfway to land but fainted because of the cold water. Then a man from a nearby hotel came floating on an inflatable tube and saved me. The key southern Ukrainian city of Kherson has come under intense fire from Russian troops stationed on the opposite bank of the Dnipro. Local officials say multiple launch rocket systems, artillery, mortars and tank shells were used. President Volodymyr Zelensky said the attack had been relentless. 
The Russian army has been shelling Kherson atrociously all day. Residential buildings, various social and transport facilities, including a hospital, post office and bus station, have been damaged. Two women, nurses, were wounded in the hospital. As of now, there are reports of six wounded and three dead. My condolences to all those who've lost loved ones to Russian terror. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're looking at how tourism and related industries are faring in both uh, Hong Kong and Macau. More visitors arrived in Hong Kong after the terrorist...